Worship him. He is the great I am, not great will be. The great I am. You know, I know Christmas decorations have been out long before even Halloween and competing with the, the sales floors and all that kind of stuff. And, and I was okay with that. I, I don't love it. I'm like, what? we haven't gotten to Halloween yet. And not even Thanksgiving yet. And the Christmas stuff is there. And, and um, this week I was shopping and I already wanted to walk into a store and there was already the bell ringer. I'm like, okay now. And like, I want to bless you, but like, come on now. Like, we haven't got to Thanksgiving yet. And, and we're already there. Who's already playing Christmas music in your home? And you're already like, you, you, jump, that, you, you jump that gun. And uh, I love Christmas music, but I'm, I'm trying to hold off till Thanksgiving. And, it, and it's real hard. And, and I was, you know, and I'm just processing and, and, and no shame. I mean, each, to each their own. And I started to think about that. And I was like, you know what? I was like, the great I am, not the great will be. You know, we come into a space like this and we worship the God who is right now. Even though we may be still walking in the storm, we thank him for the light. We may be living in a place of brokenness, but we are praising him from a position of knowing that the healing is here. And we tend to, in Christianity, as, a, as people of faith, we tend to put, might say it this way, the cart before the horse. We tend to put, it doesn't always make sense because we put... Now, what should be then, and we go ahead and we just say, you know what, we're going to do this out of order because my faith is in a living God who is the great I am, and I'm going to thank him right now for what is coming. So like the Christmas music playing before Thanksgiving, and maybe you haven't stepped into that space, but what is the thing that you're believing for? What is the thing that you're needing right now to say, you know what? Even in the midst of this situation, in this space, in this brokenness, in this addiction, whatever it is, that I'm not waiting for the breakthrough to then celebrate, to then worship, to then praise. To say, right now, right now, God, the great I am, the right now. Where you bow your heads and close your eyes and just hold in your heart and your mind, what is it that you're searching for, needing for right now? What is the thing that you're thanking God for right now? What is the thing that's been coming to your mind while we've been worshiping and praising the great I am? God, you see each and every one of us, your sons, your daughters, your creation. You see us and you know our needs greater than we do ourselves. And we hold to you the miracle that we're needing. We hold to you the breakthrough we're desiring. We hold to you the thing that we are in desperation for. And we thank you. We praise you. And we glorify your name right here and right now. Believing for the miracle. Believing for a healing. Believing for finances. Believing for restoration. Believing for a job. We say thank you. The great I am. In the beautiful, wonderful, resurrected name of Jesus Christ, your son, we say amen and amen. Let's just worship him. Thank him one last time. Just praise his name. And you may be seated. Tell the person next to you, the great I am. The great I am. Awesome. Before I get started in the message, I wanted to talk about a quick change on our texting service that we launched. And... and um, 
I'll try not to get too crazy. I'm not used to wearing a headset mic as opposed to holding the mic, and a little different for me today, but we're going to be doing some communion, and I need to have my hands free because we're doing a, a special communion at the end of service, and, uh, and so we'll, we'll get into that. And, but our texting, if you're new with us, you can still text CONNECT to the 817-662-2001. Did I have that memorized properly? Yes, I did. And uh, it's like I said that without looking. And, um, and you can text the word connect to that. If you are a member here or you call this your home and, and uh, you've already gone through the process now, you've already texted the word in the past, you don't have to do it again. But if you're a member, you can text the word Jesus uh, to that number and get signed up on that list and that that text number is, of course, a way for, for many things, but we'll be able to use that for, like, signing up for things in the future. But even right now, prayer requests, needs, questions, customer service, we're here to help, <laughs> whatever that might be. And uh, it's just a great way to be able to just text. The menu portion that we had talked about a couple weeks ago is no longer there. So, like, you don't need to text the menu to be able to do a prayer request. You just text the number. And the great thing is if you've already filled out the form, we know who you are, and we're able then to know who to pray for. We don't have to ask your name. Um, but if you want to do it anonymous, just get on your friend's phone. You can text it, and we'll still pray for you. And, uh, and get, your, get your friend on the list. Hey, hey there you go. I'm just going to say it. Just go, just go text. Just Thanksgiving. Just like, hey, can I see your phone real quick? And then just text the number. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> kind of. Whatever works, whatever crazy thing we can do for the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, that doesn't involve sinning, right? And um, awesome stuff. Uh, speaking of sinning, Pastor Walt's not here today. He's at a Cowboys game. <laughs> I just, he's my dad. I get to throw him under the bus. And I'm just like, he sends me a picture this morning. We're getting ready, and it's him at the Cowboys game. I'm like, really? I, why are you sending me this picture? I'm not with you. <laughs> 12 o'clock Cowboys game. But thank you all for being here. And uh, if you see Pastor Walt, show your love, but give him a hard time, right? Uh, we'll, we'll do it Texas style. <laughs> Pastor Joanne's with us. She said we did have to twist his arm. And so awesome. All right, all right. Uh, we're starting a new series today. It's going to be a short series, really just a two-part series. And then for those of you that love that Christmas music, in two weeks we're going to start a series called Christmas Playlist. So it's going to be all about those Christmas songs for the month of December leading up to our Christmas Eve service. But for this week, um, we've got a series called At the Table because that's right, it's Thanksgiving time. And I like to give honor and, and make sure I don't skip past an attitude of thankfulness uh, before we get to the day. And, and so um, we're hitting on that and we're going to be reading a story in 2 Samuel chapter 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9. It really worked out kind of well. Yesterday was World Kindness Day, and uh, it just happened to be, and I just happened to have this sweatshirt that said, Be Kind, so I was like, what better day to wear this? It's the day after, but we'll just make it the whole weekend, right? And Because uh, that's what we should do anyway, and uh, World Kindness Day. And then I loved right here, starting off in 2 Samuel chapter 9, and uh it says, one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? I was like, oh, I like that. It's just all just falling into place. Show kindness for Jonathan's sake. You remember, Jonathan was David's best friend. But Jonathan was also the son of the king, King Saul, that David served under. And there's a situation where... 
as, as David is coming up in the ranks and his notoriety, and, and of course he's got his trophy, trophy in the form of Goliath's head, and that's brought him all this fame and popularity, and, and everybody's already, the, the, you can imagine all the talk around as Saul is still king, that David, David's going to be king. He's got his, his many kills, and, 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 and it's coming up. And, but now in this moment, we are after a war that has taken place, and Jonathan has been killed Saul is dead, and the family is no longer uh, uh, there, and, and, and the, the royalty is gone. The throne is essentially empty. David is moving in to this place to be confirmed and, and in this process, and he's in this place. And then it's an interesting thing because in the dynasties of the old age, if a new regime was coming into power, no one lasts of the old regime. We, we still see this, honestly, in certain countries today. Someone else is taking over. Not only was the previous president or the previous ruler or the previous person in charge killed, but the whole family's got to go too. We can't leave anyone behind. And this would have been a normal situation. And, and here's David in this position. And David, instead of moving into this place of power, we see a place of kindness. Not to exert his authority over those he rules in this way, and yet he's in this place of, who can I show kindness to? Now, he had a promise to Jonathan, but still he's in this place of, like, who's left? Like, I don't even know. I'm not even aware of the circumstances and situations, so I need, I need someone to help me who is left. And, and we see in verse 2 of 2 Samuel 9, he summoned a man named Ziba, which, by the way, I normally pick on biblical names and make a joke about, hey, yeah, there's your, there's your ne the name for your next child. But honestly, I'm like, Zeba, that's kind of cool. Uh, I take Zeba. Um, my kids are grown now, but too late. But he summoned a man named Zeba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Zeba, the king asked. Yes, sir, I am, Zeba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. And Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. He's crippled in both feet. David is looking for somebody to invite. And here we find somebody, but he's crippled. This, there, there is somebody. It's Jonathan's son, but he's crippled. It's like, why is this even the determining factor of how you describe this person? What is the purpose behind Ziba's motive of all the things you could say? You could say, oh, yeah, he's got great hair, and, and, and he's super tall, or, or um, yeah, he can play uh, golf really well. I mean, like, of all the things, like, certainly there was something better that you could choose as a descriptive fact about Jonathan's son. But isn't that how we're often recognized in our lives? We're often known by uh, a particular piece of our appearance and typically often not always our good qualities but often remembered for bad qualities as we move into thanksgiving time and we show up at the family dinner with all the relatives they may not care how we look or dress but they know our mistakes they know our past and our history and we show up in places where even if it's not about our, our appearance and physicality there's there's our past we're, 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 we're sometimes and often followed by the issues that we've gone through in life. 
even, even financial ruins where it's like I'm not even where I want to be or should be even at this point because of some decisions that took place or some trage- tragedies that took place. I remember being sour for a long time when my wife and I were engaged. I had a really cool car. Uh, in the import scene, souping it up, and and uh, and we're driving somewhere, and all of a sudden I get in an accident, and my car gets totaled. And my car, the one that was paid off, my wife's car that was not cool was not paid off, <laughs> and it's like now we're in this situation of this car payment for oh ugly car too, right? Like it's bad enough to have a car payment, but then when you hate the car too, like oh it just makes it that much worse. And we had these situations that we couldn't even help. But David is looking for somebody to invite. I almost wondered, David, are you still sure? You, you know he's crippled, right? Are you still sure that you want to invite him? The, 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 you, you know that, like, you know, we're not ADA compliant here in, in, in the king's castle and we don't have handicapped bathrooms. Like, what's the situation? Like, David, are you sure? David, how's that going to look that you're one to invite him in and to show your kindness? What's that going to look like? David, what's this process going to be? You ever feel that way? Maybe even in a crippled situation and you find yourself in the midst of the world that maybe can't even help you. Maybe it doesn't even care and you feel like you've been in this situation where it's like no one around you even cares about your crippled state of affairs. It's like, don't you even know? Don't you even see? We feel like Jonathan's son here. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, we, we learn what happens to Jonathan's son, and, and we see this name, this name that I've said many times this week. I may still butcher it, I, I, and I may shorten it if I have to. No matter how many times I say it, I feel like I always second-guess myself like mid-word. In the middle of the name is where I'm going to second-guess myself. And, uh, but it says in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, so we go back in time a little bit. Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. I appreciate your confidence right there. Who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. In the midst of an attack, in the midst of trying to flee for safety, trying to leave to a place at a better place of getting away. She drops him. The nurse, the one who is supposed to take care of him, the one to care for him, drops him and damages him. I don't know about you, but it's bad enough when the crippled state of my life is because of my own making. It's because of my own choices you know, I just got over some, some healed ribs because I made some dumb choices on the mountain bike trail going way too fast for my experience level and not knowing what I was doing and where I was going and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and it's bad enough, you know, I pay for, for broken ribs because of something I did. But then so, t- so many times in life we end up having to pay for mistakes, pay the price for situations and injuries that didn't even become or come because of the decisions that we made, but the decisions that were made even for us, against us. That person was out to get you. We have all these situations, 
and yet are we still invited? David, David, you probably remember this story. Maybe, maybe you heard about it in the midst of all the ruckus and all the affair and everything that was taking place. And we have all these times and situations. And we come into this, place, this, this space of communion and coming to the Lord's table. And we have all this brokenness that, that we carry within ourselves. And, and sometimes it's the decisions and choices that I made. It's I chose to look at that. I chose to go over there. I chose to talk to that person, say the things that I shouldn't have said. I, I chose to do this with my finances. I chose. But then we have these other situations where people chose for us. People chose against us. You were supposed to get that promotion and that person through means of not because of a better qualification, but, but through means of demise, got that thing that you were supposed to get. And then the snowball effect, because you didn't get the thing you were supposed to get, you didn't get the finances that you were hoping to get, and didn't get the, the thing there and the thing here, and then there's all this, this effect. And how do, we, how do we rectify this? How do we... How do we deal with this in our lives to be able to then come into this space, come into communion, the Lord's table, and say, how can I feel invited when I'm so damaged, when I'm considered less than to be invited to the Lord's table? And back in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, verse 4, I see this says, where is he? The king asked in Lodabar. Ziba told him, at the home of Machir, son of Amiel, Lodabar. Lodabar means a place of no bread. Imagine that Mephibosheth is in a place of hiding. He's not in a place of abundance. He's not in a place of, uh, of, like, of having the wealth that he is guaranteed as royalty is not what he is experiencing. This is not his life. He is in a place called Lo Debar. Like the, the idea and concept of Lo should communicate so much to us, but it means a place of no bread, a place of missing, a place of no shalom, a place of not having wholeness is this place that he is at. How can he be invited out of a place of despair? David, are you still sure that you want to invite Mephibosheth, are you still sure that you want to go through this effort to invite him to your table, to invite him to your kingdom, to your palace, to invite this man, this broken man in front of everybody, for everybody to see? Because you know royalty tends to operate with who you have around you too. That, that it's not just about my status, but the status of those around me, who I, who I hang out with, who I converse with. David, are you sure you want to bring in this man who is crippled to come down your courts, to come up to your throne, to sit at your table? What is that going to look like? How is that going to reflect on you, David? Are you still sure that you want to invite him? Are you still sure that you want to show kindness to him? Too often in the church, I think we kind of stumble in this area. Even in our, our senses of humility and, and, and even a place of, of coming to the table. We even see it in 1 Corinthians and Paul's having to correct the church. It's like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Y'all are fighting among yourselves at the table. Some of y'all, you're not even trying to share the bread. You're trying to hoard the bread. 
What are you doing? You, 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 you people of status who even already have bread are hoarding the elements of communion. While the people below you, while the people of no means, the people of low debar, are starving. And they're not even trying to feed as much as just take communion. David, are you sure this is the route that you want to go? And how hard is it so many times, you know, in this situation? And I like how one pastor put it, it's like, it wasn't just about getting Mephibosheth out of low to bar, but getting low to bar out of Mephibosheth. Because how many times do we even walk into this place of community, this place of church, this place of many seats, and yet we still feel like we're in here alone? That we've managed to come into this space and we still feel like we're alone. And let me be real, sometimes even taking communion in our seats, which is convenient and, and I love it and there's nothing against it, but sometimes it can help us to just stay in solitude. Because I can just stay here with my cup and my wafer that's really hard, by the way. This bread's so much better. It is good bread. It's way better than that wafer you got in that little portable thing you got in your seat, just so you know. And we come there and we're still able to leave low to bar, our home, our place of solitude and struggle and brokenness. But yet we come here and we carry it with us because we carry it here. And we come into a place that is supposed to be about community and kindness to one another full of people of all kinds, and we still feel alone. And we still feel this solitude and struggle within ourselves. It's one thing for us to leave Lodabar, and it's another for Lodabar to leave us. But we are invited. David continues in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 5. So David sent for him and brought him from Akir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid. Oh, David, what do you see in this moment, this man who has been in hiding, this man who didn't know whether to fear you or believe the rumor of a promise that you made to his father, this man who knows about a promise but also knows that his family is dead. Even another relative was just killed by two people claiming to be a part of your crew, David. And now all of a sudden you're drawing me out of a place of hiding to, to bring me out of darkness to a place of light, how can I not be afraid? What are the emotions that he is facing? Are the emotions of anger and rage and vengeance for his loss and being in a place of not having the things that he should have had and being in a place of status that he should have been, a place of crippledness. He should have been walking and not crawling. And here he is in the face of David, and David has a response that's so similar to so many angels throughout the, the, the text of the Bible. And it says, don't be afraid. David said, I intend to show you kindness, excuse me, show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. 
Needless to say, Mephibosheth is officially invited. Can you say invited? Mephibosheth and all his brokenness and all his lack and all his desperation and everything that is missing, yet he finds him in a place of being invited. We see a picture of a king showing generosity, kindness, grace. And the thing is no different with our king, our king of kings, who desires to find us in the midst of our brokenness and situations, to show us the same way as David would show Mephibosheth. A king pursuing the son of royalty to bless him. And this is our king. In the midst of our brokenness, we are invited. In the midst of our failures, we are invited. In the midst of our sins, we are invited. In the midst of fill in the blank with what happened to you this week. Fill in the blank with what happened to you last year. Fill in the blank with what happened to you. Whether it was of your own making, your own doing, and your own choices, or the choices of those around you, against you, or to you. We find ourselves in a place of Mephibosheth. And even if you're not able to say the word, that's okay if you can be Mephibosheth. And you can identify with this person. What we see here portraying this this beauty of communion is that Mephibosheth is still broken and still invited. And too many times in the church we think, before I can come to the table, before I can partake of communion, even if it's the one in my seat, I've got to get it right. I've got to somehow make amends. And don't get me wrong, there are times in our life where we are challenged and called to correct a relationship as we are in relationship. There are times where we are called absolutely to repent. But there are times that it takes place in the midst of communion. When we say in our brokenness, I accept the brokenness of the bread of Christ. In in, in my bleeding, in my crying, in my tears, I accept the blood of Christ that has been poured out. And this isn't my correction that I have to do before I can come to the table. It is the correction of my Savior. It is the correction of the healer. It's the correction of the King of kings, not of my own doing and own making. And like Mephibosheth, I come to the courts. I come to the seat of our King. In the state I am in. Too many times we think we've got to get it all right first. Too many times we try to get it all right first. And, and even sometimes we can move into a place of saying, yeah, yeah, I deserve this. I own this. This is, this is me. Can I say, if you accept an invitation that you believe was owed to you, Yeah, even if it was like a wedding, graduation, you're like, yeah, I better got that invitation. You can't accept what you believe was owed to you because there's nothing to accept in that situation. The invitation was not something that was owed to you. It was a gift to you. It was grace to you. It was mercy to you. It's God's kindness that leads to all repentance. It was the kindness of our heavenly father that was shown to us. We see this kind of attitude in Luke chapter 14 as I get ready to close and move into communion. And in Luke chapter 14, 
Jesus is having a conversation with some guys and he's actually talking about humility. I love this. He just gets done talking about humility. And a guy responds, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet for the kingdom of God. Excuse me, sir, did you uh, listen to Jesus? Did you, did you hear what he was saying? Like, like I'm, I understand you're getting excited. Like, I, I'd probably be excited too. Like, I'm just like this guy, like, right? Like, you just pass by all the teachings and like, you need to do this and the the last shall be first, the first shall be last. He's like, yeah, I can't wait to be there. <laughs> like, you sure? Did you hear what he said? And we, we move on. Jesus replied with a story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just gotten married so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the valleys of the town. Invite the poor. Invite the crippled. The blind. Invite the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. You know, often we can read that and be like, okay, I don't feel like I'm poor or crippled and blind or lame. I feel like I'm just doing okay. Or maybe you feel like you're just doing worse. You're like, yeah, 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 okay. God, yeah, yeah, the, the, the He's inviting those people, but he doesn't know what I did. He's inviting those people, but he doesn't know my past, my record, my history, maybe my browsing history. Yeah, yeah, he's inviting those people, but. And I, I feel like there's, there's a, let's make sure that nothing is even missing off this list. We're all on this list somewhere. So are we the people rejecting the invitation or accepting the invitation? Are we the people acknowledging our place in this story of invitation? And those other people, oh, they knew it was there. It's, it's, like, it's like sometimes we can even get in this place. We've been in church all our lives that we begin to take for granted certain things and situations. Which is why I love the idea that we're going to do communion a little differently today because it's just a little bit different that maybe you've been doing a particular way for so long that it's become routine. It's, oh, but, I, but yeah, that invitation was owed to me. I mean, these people that declined the invitation, they knew a long time ago that the wedding was coming. They knew a long time ago to prepare for the wedding now. And they chose to make alternate plans. Now, if they're introverts, I can kind of like correlate with them. And I'd be like, yeah, I understand. I don't want to go either. Anytime, I, anytime there's a party and my wife can go in my place, and, you know, the two shall become one. So if she goes, then we were both there, right? And that's how I count marriage. And, uh, and so, like, she just goes and represents for us both. I'm just joking. She's shaking her head at me right now. <laughs> it says, go into the country lanes behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. There is nobody left out of this communion. 
There is nobody left out to say, yes, Jesus, your Lord of my life, and the thing, the brokenness inside of me is not of me, it is of you to fix. It is of you to rectify. It is of you to heal. It is of you to restore. It is of you to even take away in the situation of something that needs to be gone. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. I like how one person puts it, communion is a meal for the sick, not a prize for being perfect. So please, church, don't ever feel like you cannot come to the table. As far as I'm concerned as a pastor of this church, if you can't come to the table, then neither can I. And if you feel like you can't come to the table, let me know and I'll come stand with you. But this table is for each and every one of us. Because it's not for those that have gotten gotten it together. It's not for those that get all the right answers. It's not for those that are just making the A's. It's for each and every one of us. To reject the dinner is to reject the host. We're going to move into a place of communion. And with this, if you don't, For any reason, though, if you don't feel comfortable coming up and sharing as you'll take a piece of bread and tear off your piece and and dip into the cup, and if for any reason you don't feel comfortable, please understand that we, I, I completely understand. So what we've done is we have placed our communion to go, and we've placed that in all the seats. And so if you feel like today and and what's happening in our, in our community, whether related to COVID or just you don't like germs and it's something. Know that you can take communion in your seats, but please take communion in your seats. Don't let an issue of Mephibosheth keep you from coming to the throne, coming to a place of blessing. It was in the midst of that That David said, everything that was your father's, your grandfather's, I give to you. Everything that you should have had all this time, there have been servants taking care of this land. It's not even even like it's just dilapidated and become worthless. It's maintained. It's producing fruits. You're going from a place of no bread to a place of abundant bread. You're taking the king's land. I'm restoring to you what should have been yours all along. And I can't take away the experience and the situation that you've come through, but let me restore you. Let me heal you. And we we, we take hold of that as we come to the table. And we come not just because we're, we're remembering the body of Christ and the blood of Jesus as a place of remembrance, but we remember who Jesus was of what his blood represented. The forgiveness of sins to wash away all of our unrighteousness. And his body that wasn't wasn't just a vessel for him to maintain and walk through his life here on earth, living the perfect life that we couldn't live, but a body that would be broken, that would be beaten, and that would hang in a place of sacrifice for each and every one of us. 
And what will happen as you come forward here in a moment with our prayer team, our pastors, is you'll come forward and you'll tear a piece off and they'll say, his body broken for you. And you'll tear your piece off and you'll respond with an amen. And if we can go ahead and have our, our pastors and worship team come forward to take communion first before the congregation. And you'll tear your bread off. And then there's the blood of Christ. And they'll say his, his blood poured out for you. And you'll dip the bread in the juice and you'll respond with an amen. And then you'll partake and return to your seats. As you wait to come forward during this time, what is God speaking to you this morning? What is he showing you in this time? What issues of Mephibosheth have you been carrying with you, maybe just since yesterday, maybe for far too long? And it's a time of contemplation. We sit in this silence where our worship team is not playing. This is a time for us to just reflect on our lives and reflect on King Jesus. And if you'll take his body broken for you, his body broken for you, His body broken for you. His body broken for you. If we'll get Tirza and then I'll set y'all up. His body broken for you. If y'all want to go ahead and serve them. When the worship team begins to play. Is a time you can sing if you'd like, or a time just to continue contemplation even after you've partaken communion. And they're going to lead us in worship. What we'd like to do, if you're going to stand with me here this morning, is we'd like to start with our outside sections that you can come, if you'll come from the outside to the bread first, and then the juice, and then you can go back to your seats. And then once the outside sections have gone, and then our inside section, it'll be easier for the middle section to be able to then also come through communion and you go to the side that's more convenient for you. I'm gonna pray, Father, you know us. You know our hearts and our minds. You know our brokenness and our crippled situations. You know our mistakes and failures and you know the ones that are done to us, not just by our own decisions and choices, you know our situations and circumstances of living in a fallen, broken world, a place of low debar. And God, 
I pray and thank you for calling us out of Lodabar, calling us out of brokenness, calling us out of a place of despair, calling us out of wherever we have been that we should not have been, that we did not belong to a place of royalty, a place of sitting at the king's table. We accept the invitation and we come forward right now in the name of Jesus and we say thank you for inviting us to the king's table. In Jesus' name, amen. Please begin to come forward to communion.